You're Going to Die, the podcast is brought to you by YG2D, a 501c3 nonprofit bringing diverse communities creatively into the conversation of death and dying, inspiring life by unabashedly sourcing our shared mortality. To find out more, visit www.yg2d.com. One of my favorite moments in this episode's conversation about codependency is when I realize that I've been talking about it like it's someone else's issue, and it suddenly dawns on me that we're talking about me. Classic codependent. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast, your creatively conscious mortality podcast. My name is Ned Buskirk. I'm your host. And the first thing I want to say to start this episode off is to acknowledge (laughs) that there are things I've had to do to survive in my life when I was a little boy, especially, that have gotten me where I am, like literally right here recording this episode's introduction connects to those things I had to do to survive. The shadow parts of me, those demons of my past, like there is a connection here to there. There is a through line. And there are things that don't serve me anymore, at least well enough and healthily. And so yes, this episode's conversation definitely gave me a little bit of a confronting dose of what is that? Uh, maybe it's time to face it a little more. And and I think that's something I got talking with Erica Wright in this episode about codependency. The beginning, just the tip of the iceberg. Something I want to start off with, and, and Erica does a little bit of this in the episode's conversation, but I want to just give you the codependency definition from Erica's website. What is codependency? Codependency is the act of participating in a defended conditional and transactional form of love. At its core, codependency is about controlling and manipulating your own or someone else's feelings in order to avoid vulnerability. There's more there, and you can read it on Erica's website, which I'll put in the show notes. But for now, I'll just stop at that, especially at that word vulnerability, this way that we are willing and generous with ourselves emotionally, how we're able to give of ourselves honestly and rawly and be visible and how vulnerability is a way of being affected, choosing to allow ourselves to be affected by others. Frank Ostaseski in our conversation on You're Going to Die, the podcast, really helped define that part of the definition of vulnerability for me. So good place to stop, right? It is, or begin, I should say, it is the way into codependency is about how willing we are to be vulnerable. And that's how Erica couches this conversation in a mortality context. I also want to add something that Erica says in our conversation, which is the way you deal with your codependency, the way you deal with these parts of being alive, it's up to you. Like find that thing that works and run to it. I think Erica said, run to it like your hair's on fire. And I love that. So I want to acknowledge that because Erica has a very specific way she's dealt with codependency in her life in a way that she needed. How you deal with these parts of who we are and how we're alive 
isn't as important as that we have these things to acknowledge, that we need to turn and face them. And so that's why I feel like this conversation is so important. That's the primary reason why it's important. And you could go and connect to Erica and get the version of healing and work that she's done with codependency. Like it's available, it's an option. But remember, this is just like the, hey, what is codependency? How does it connect to mortality, vulnerability? What does it keep us from? I like that phrasing, right? What does it keep us from? How does it limit us? That's something I hold now after talking to Erica. What is codependency in my life keeping me from? And where can I go to start facing that and healing that and opening and becoming more vulnerable out of this part of my life, these patterns of my life of codependency? Erica Wright is a self-appointed codependency counselor who offers instruction based on the teachings of her own life, plant medicine, and a spiritual path. She is a wife and mother of two, has a chocolate company called Supasta, and runs transformational women's retreats with her soul sister and their company, Made of Stars. I so hope you enjoy this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast with Erica Wright. Okay, so right now I have three rams in my backyard, right? Which are dude sheep. My mm-hmm. best girlfriend's boyfriend's a shepherd, and that's how you get three dude sheeps in your backyard. And about an hour ago, I went out to feed them veggie scraps, and one of them is dead. Right now. <laughs> right now. Just and I was suddenly. like, what? Okay, well, this isn't symbolic at all. I'm, I'm like oh men- walking around my house, like mentally prepping myself to be on this mm. podcast. Okay, there's <laughs> always the always the feeling of like it wasn't my fault, you know, like yeah, when people right? come to the shows. <laughs> well, and the really amazing thing is, you know, it's this like big, big ass ram, white ass, mean looking ram, you know. And I saw him like lying over by. Um, one of the sheds. And and the thing that really touched me and made me start thinking was like, oh, in the past with death, what I think used to happen is we would have these vigils, right? You and I recently were at a vigil and like, you know, we don't really do that anymore for the reasons that we'll talk about codependency, et cetera. And the thing that I thought was really beautiful is the other two rams are out there sitting next to him. It's a massive one-acre plot. They could be anywhere. Yeah, right. And there they are, just sitting there with him. Mm. So, you know, I take mm-hmm. reality on reality's terms. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right. <laughs> no no symbolism here. I Great. guess I'm to know. doing the podcast today. <laughs> That's right. Going to talk I to think Ned. the animal, yeah, exactly. I think the animal um, presence in our lives, just yesterday we did a, little facilitation of sorts at this senior citizens, like senior living center north of San Francisco. And this gentleman who wept talking about his wife who he'd been with for 60 years, who died a year Mm -hmm. ago, was also talking about telling his sons in a dramatic way he shared with us that he'd cried with his sons really unabashedly uh, as if it was something really important and unique and uncommon. But why he told the story is because the animal, the dog that his son owned sitting across the room when he broke into tears, weeping with his head resting on his armchair, like he described just collapsing Mm -hmm. kind of into himself 
between his sons, this dog came over and put its face on his face and mm. put its paw on his shoulder. And I know you and I both have heard so many stories of animals like doing these things. Totally. It feels like part of us, like the vigil we both experienced a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. there was something very <laughs> animal mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. And I felt myself making noises I yeah. don't ever get to, to make and don't remember making. That's right. Sitting over George and weeping. That's right. And, and weeping hard enough to like smile at the end. Yeah. You know, and be, say, thank you. you That's know. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And feel What's the your... release of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's so important. And I just had no idea because in all other circumstances, you know, the dead get swept away pretty quickly. Yeah. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. don't look, don't touch. I grew up Catholic where that is just like a whole, you know, the wake and stuff. It's a whole thing, but it's still, it didn't feel like there were a lot of room for the feelings Mm-hmm. And then the longevity of it, you know, it's like a couple hours and you get in there and you do your deal and then you're out, you know, it feels like a very rushed process. Mm-hmm. And it was really beautiful to be in that space with you and to not feel that time constraint and let the process be organic, you know. Totally. I felt very comfortable with a bunch of people, mostly I yeah. don't didn't know, people right. just sort of putting their hands on me that, in moments where I was really, really breaking down and, yeah. and me looking up and being like, I don't know who you are, <laughs> but just That's feeling... Right. But here comes the love. Totally held, yeah, totally held. Yeah. And, and also not obligated. I didn't, I didn't feel any need to, you know, I think maybe I walked in, hugged you, hugged Chelsea, um, made a point of finding, you know, Georgia and... That was it. You know, there was a couple other people I got to hug and engage with, but mostly it's like, and even this too, is just feeling used to holding these kind of spaces for others. It felt really like I came and got what I needed and and maybe too what George needed, you know? Yeah. Well, it's so good. You know, there's something really beautiful and uh, relieving about being able to have all of your feelings in real time and no one has to do anything about anything. Right. Yeah. Liberation for sure. Yeah. I want to, I want to pull on that thread a bit. I want to pull on Mm. that thread a bit and go back to those early experiences. Mine, of course, being my mom's death that I've talked about countless times on, on, on the podcast and don't really need to get into because you already explained a version of what you, you have that matches mine. In this culture of like, my mom died, I had a funeral and that was fucking it. You know, I don't, there's no, there was no other, there was no continuation. It wasn't like, hmm, we created something, my sister and I, that mattered a lot. That's right. We we didn't know what to do. My mom didn't talk to us about it, but we created something that I'll never forget. And I feel proud that we did that. Yeah. And George's, the vigil with George, as an example, was even the hour I spent there was profoundly Uh special in a way that I can't relate with my own mom's death and funeral. And so I kind of want to go with what you started sharing about your version of that at the, the, you know, in childhood or, you know, what do you remember? Can you speak more to that? Yeah. And and then that kind of like what you learned or when you learned that that wasn't, you know, that journey. Yeah. 
Um, well, I definitely, you know, I do have a podcast where I tell the story of basically me um, <laughs> when I was in third grade going home to my mom and saying like, I just read a story about adoption. Am I adopted? And she was like, oh, well, yes. As a matter of fact, you have a different uh, dad. <laughs> Erica. Okay. Yes. First uh, question, <laughs> interjection. Was it, what, was that it? I mean, literally this was like book literally, read, brought it up it. to mom. Mom was like, eh, as well, a matter of fact. Sure. And then uh, here is what I will say is like prior to that, I've always felt like a bit of a weirdo, no matter where I am. And there was something I was very present to as like a super young kid, you know, four, five, six, seven of just like, why is there a part of me that feels like I don't quite slot in? Okay. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. there was always that feeling you when I was in third already. grade. Yeah. And I and I like came home and was like, you know, and I am I am I adopted? And my mom was like, Well, yes, and you have a different father you know, and his name is Louis Esper. And, uh, you know, he left when you were three and, you know, your dad, my stepdad, who I called my dad, your dad is your dad. And we're basically just, you, we're not going to tell anybody. Mm. This is like how this is. And I was like, okay, well, where is he? Well, he's dead. And I was like, Okay. Mm. <laughs> Do you have any pictures? Do you have anything? No. You know, and to my mom's defense, I'm sure she was a lot, you know, my mom by nature is a very kind person. I don't mean, I don't mean to make her sound like that. She was very well, loving, I mean, but it was still. <laughs> even know. as loving. I mean, what's great about how you're articulating it to us is it, yeah. there's no denying however kindly and loving your mom put it. Yes. How yes. jarringly it was this news came to you. Yes. Yeah. Well, it As was, kid, and you know? so two things simultaneously, right? It was like, whoa, what? And then it was also like, well, yeah, duh. Yeah. Sorry. You made okay. that clear. It's like you held, you've, you've been holding yeah. something already up until that moment that right. you were like, oh, okay. It's that all yeah. makes sense. Yeah. That's right. And then, so I was like, okay, well, okay. He died. Okay. And then, you know, I think I just, you know, she was probably like, do you have any other questions? And I was just like, uh, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'll, I just remember like going off and playing and just like getting on with it. Right. It's like really bizarre. Um, and then in my early, very early twenties, my mom and my stepdad broke up and it was like, oh, I'm free to go find out who these people are. That felt, I'm basically. Yeah. You felt that you couldn't before that. Well, I was told I couldn't. Oh yeah, we're not telling. Anybody. Right. So this is the codependency yeah, piece. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is we're not going to tell anybody about this because your stepfather is extremely uncomfortable. It will upset him. So what would be good is if you could just go ahead and suck that up, mm. so that everyone can maintain their state of feeling that they would prefer. That'd be great. Yeah. You know, which I was like, absolutely. This is what we do, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Sure. I'm absolutely yeah. willing to live a lie to keep my stepfather comfortable. Right. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> right. And as a kid, you're, so, right, you're like, okay, that's my job, I guess now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, no and that's what you're, it, that's what I was taught, you know, and no malice. It's like there, was, there wasn't a stitch of malice in it. It was just like, here's the toolkit we have. And this is how it is, you know, mm -hmm. which like, <laughs> we were also, you know, being raised Catholic. So it's perfect. 
like <laughs> yeah. shut up and Fear be right happy, in. you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so then when I think I was about 20, my, you know, stepfather and my mom got divorced, which again, I go like into in the podcast and I was like, oh, sweet. Well, now that you are, you know, your feelings don't matter. I'm going to go ahead and find out, you know, who my dad was and this family and everything. And I did, and it was great. Like I contacted my grandmother and my dad, my blood dad did, he died in 1981 when he was 27. Mm. So it it was simultaneously, here's what I'll say. The, the, the there was a bunch of unprocessed grief still in my body from whenever he and my mother broke up. His absence in my life left a cellular imprint. I didn't have a bunch of thoughts about it, but there was a cellular imprint that as I started to, you know, get to know his mom and his dad and his brother and his two sisters and like really feel that there was this guy that was my dad that I knew nothing about and didn't, you know, it was like, and, and so I remember going there to visit and like demanding to go to his grave and being so angry that I did not get a shot to like, you know, I don't even know if it, I didn't get a shot to have like a life with him. I didn't get a chance to say anything, you know? And I remember at the time, like, you know, very 20s, like yelling, you know, digging a hole in his grave and like yelling into it and doing, you know, doing whatever, very you goth thing. You I was did in that. a very goth face. <laughs> yeah. You did that. <laughs> that you did I that. Did you that. dug and yelled in that hole. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm just feeling that version of you, yeah. that part of your life. Uh, yeah, finding and like, out what I you also, could have loved made you angry. You know, it's like you couldn't access it before. Yes. You weren't allowed to. No one shared it. You couldn't talk to anybody. No. Suddenly you get introduced to it, like kind of secondhand to him, right? That's and right. And so then you're like, oh, what I could have loved, you know? And then yeah. you just- And I felt and, cheated. Mm-hmm. I felt ripped off, like in a way that is hard to describe, you know? And, you know, my mom made it really clear in a very kind way, his uh, inability to- you know, do the dad thing and his choice of, you know, letting my stepdad adopt me. And it's like, I had to go through all that too Mm. of, you know, the many layered feelings of that. And like this idea that I wasn't chosen and this idea that I was like thrown away, which, you know, as I've gotten older and had a lot of medicine, no longer feels like I just have a much broader perspective than I did. Mm-hmm. But I remember it's like I was trying to get as close to him as I could. And when I was like digging a hole and yelling into his grave, like I laid my body on top of it, you know, because mm-hmm. that was the closest in physical That's- proximity. I would ever be, you know, what was left of him, or yeah, what, right, right, you know, right. and, and, and just like the... You know, back to the animal portion, like the mm. animal part of me that like felt like I had a right to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I at least, if nothing else, had a right to some form of physical proximity to you know the man that made me. Mm. And um, 
you know, that, and, and it took me, I would say most of my twenties and thirties to really allow myself to have all of my feelings and all of my thoughts hold whatever was true in a moment as true and then let it go. And it was like peeling back layers of an onion to get mm-hmm. to the nucleus of love, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I pretty much at this point am dedicating my life's work to healing my own codependency for sure, you know? And it's like that, that's such, that circumstance of like, you know, not knowing who my dad was or forgetting or, you know, and then being told that like, yeah, you can know, but you can't really say anything about It's like, it's so powerful and I cannot express accurately enough what a gift it has been in my life. Mm. All of it. Like the gift of my blood father unelecting himself to do a job that one, he didn't want it or couldn't do in a good way, Mm. you know, and it's like passing it off to a man who most assuredly wanted it. Yeah. You know, it's like my stepdad was like all, all in (laughs) never once was always Mm. like, you're my daughter. I don't (laughs) care if you like it. This is how this is, you know, (laughs) Yeah, totally. guy from Dorchester (laughs) and, and the, and the really great gift of being indoctrinated to that programming so early and, waking up to it and choosing to let it go every day, you know, like choosing the truth Mm -hmm. over, you know, my discomfort around how I feel or somebody else feels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And it's like, and I really see my mom and my stepfather is like completely innocent absolutely completely innocent Mm. of just like, you know, this man's discomfort will kill me. That's yeah. That's (laughs) wild. I mean, that, that, that's, um, yeah. Cause I think in a way I'm getting your, your biological dad did a version of like, I can't be with what's hard or or what feels uncomfortable, you know? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And I want to be really clear. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. 18. Yeah. I, that I wanted a little more of that. Like, what was that? What's that part of the story? It seems clear now. Like he didn't just die. And so then you're, cause that's what I thought at first, right? He died. And so your stepdad, you know, it's like he, there was a moment when he was like, I'm done. I'm not doing this. Yes. Absolutely. Like my parents were really young, you know, it was the seventies. It's just like, this is, Mm -hmm. it's like another (laughs) world now, you know, it's like my parents were super young he was a really tremendously brilliant musician and that's, that was his deal. It's like, that's all he could pay attention to and that's what he could do. And he, you know, was a genius person that like couldn't really do the job thing so much. Couldn't really Mm -hmm. do the like, you know, regular world or what uh, was expected of a man in 1972, Mm -hmm. 73, you know? Yeah. And you know, my mom was, ridiculously responsible. You know, it's like, I am certain I'm 
I mean, I attribute a lot to my mom, but most definitely the fact that like I'm alive and stayed alive. That's all <laughs> that for lady. sure, right? Sure. Well, that feels, <laughs> yeah. that feels important, know? right? To acknowledge right. your mom for what she's done to get you, <laughs> to oh get you here, but also oh the God. parts of you that maybe you relate to, because that's the thing. I I'm I don't want to jump right. ahead. I I think I I, I understand this decision, right? Or I don't understand it, but I hear that part of the story. And then I'm already feeling like, what is, what is the, what are those things you inherited from him though, that you actually are like, oh, there's these moments when I know I'm, I'm, even though I didn't know him, there's something about me that also how you're here is because of who he was. You know, I think with my dad, it's like, he absolutely resisted any version of like, this is the good job. Here's the nine to five. And that was so brutal for our family. And like, look at me, I run a fucking organization called you're going to die. You know, it's like, I don't want a boss. I I want, (laughs) I want to do what I want to do. And I, I totally credit him for that. And so just wondering, and again, I don't want to jump ahead because I feel like you're getting into this piece of maybe the story where your dad, made that choice. And then ultimately too, I want to know, you know, if you're willing to share how he died. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, but then yeah, also, you yeah, know, the, it's really funny because it's like, it's very paradoxy, you know, which I think a lot of the path of the human being, it's all like multiple opposing truths. You're just, it's like a bunch of stuff's true. Then it's not true. Then it's true again. And you're holding it all and you're juggling and good luck mm-hmm. to you. Right. It's like, good. Yeah, the second I'm like, it. this is like this. No, it's not. It's all it's some other shit, you know? At the, at the time you finish the sentence. Yeah, totally. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sure by the time I listen to this podcast, I'll be like, you know, none of that. Jesus, I don't even know what, what I was talking say? about. That this was so ridiculous. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it was right then though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, my, there, both my parents are from like the Midwest. So they moved to Boston, which is like, I'm sure wicked edgy, you know, have me, it's great. And, mm. you know, as far as I know, it's like my mom like went to work and figured it out and like, you know, learned how to be a grown up, And that was that. And she was going to work. My, you know, it's like my blood dad had a much harder time, mm-hmm. you know, it's like kind of being a bus boy at restaurants and, you know, also it's like that guy could play every single instrument he ever touched. And, you know, it's like, can't hold a job, but can literally pick up a violin and have it mastered within a week, you know? And again, they were teenagers. So I am sure they were working on their teenager material with a baby. Yeah. You know, (laughs) which like, I I mean, I had my daughters when I was 45 and 47 (laughs) and it's just like, oh my God, how does it... (laughs) anyone do this? This is impossible. Yeah. So all, I mean, all of that is, you know, I really do my survival and my thriving even is such a gift. And then Mm. they, you know, I think my mom had kind of had enough of whatever, you know, my blood father could offer her and they split up. And I think extremely shortly after, she met my stepdad who how, was how old like, were you, uh, at this time I was three mm-hmm. and my stepdad was like by the book, 
mm-hmm. you know, from Dorchester, yeah. graduated from yeah. Boston Tech, got a job at the phone company at 18, yeah. and I got benefits, and I got a pension, and this is what you're looking for, honey. You know, it's like when I when I was in high school, I'd be like, Dad, I think I'm going to be a famous, you know, it'd be like, whatever, as long as you have benefits, and you make sure you just got to work your ass off. That's all you got to do, yeah. you know? And I'd be yeah. like, I think I'll just be rich for nothing, <laughs> you know? And it was just like, right, uh, yeah, be your own boss, honey. See, see how that goes, yeah. whatever, you know? And so having like, you know, my blood dad, who's like, yay, I just do whatever I want. And then my, you know, which is in my genetics. Yes. Right. That That's what I have of him in my DNA. And then my stepdad, who was like, you know, basically that guy's motto was life. Life sucks. You work, then you die. Yeah. And I uh, hope, hope some good stuff happens for you in between. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I really resonate with what you said is like, I cannot work for another person. I have three companies and, you know, it's like I, I have to do whatever I want all of the time yes. or I will burst into flames. Yeah, and I yeah. know that that comes from my blood dad, but then also, you know, really healing my, you know, need to work so much. You know, the, the, the thing that was programmed for my stepdad is like, if you work really hard, you're a good person. Do you connect that to, to like the three-year-old that had her fucking dad leave and like what it, what that meant about you and what it means to, to do really good? Cause I feel like yes. that's part of what I, that's part of what even really even is like the dark demon, the dark shadow part yes. that got me to where I am with you're going to die is the, that can I right. help? Can I fix this? Can I? That's right. Can I be that's, the good I mean, boy? and that's all the codependency, right? Yes. Conditional and transactional love. Mm-hmm. If I do A, B, and C, you will think I'm good, which means I'll be allowed to think I'm good. Right? This is great. So it's this like good, always looking. Yeah, this feels important. To the, ex- looking outside of you to inform you of yourself. Yeah. For sure. I I was just like, this will be, this codependency chat will be great. Like this doesn't have anything to do with me. Can't wait to learn. And now I'm like, Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's good. You know, here's what's really great about it though, that I have come to terms with is like, everybody's completely innocent. Every single person in the United States. Okay. I'm just going to say this. Because this is what I feel like I can say with confidence. Every single white person in the United States has this, okay? Mm -hmm. Because this is the runoff of organized religion, colonialism, settlerism, racism, misogyny, you know, patriarchal, like these systems that, you know, and I'm not necessarily shaking my fist at them right now. I'm just saying this is where it spit us out. Yeah, hell yeah. Of walking around, looking at everybody else, asking them if if I'm okay. Is mm. this okay with you? What what do I need to do to earn your love and respect? Mm-hmm. Capitalism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. So like, yeah, I mean, and I think it was very much like that. On top of now that I'm 51, what I am able to feel into my actual somatic programming is people disappear and you don't know where they go and no one tells you anything about it. Mm -hmm. Because that is literally so, you know, I don't remember the last day I saw my blood dad. Yeah. It was like, and I remember I, I said to my mom... Like later, when when I was in my 20s, I think when I was like trying to unravel all this, I was like, 
did, you know, cause I didn't call him dad. He didn't want me to call him dad. He wanted me to call him Louie, mm-hmm. you know? And I was like, did I notice that like wait, wait, Louis wait, wasn't wait, there? Like, did, wait, your, your dad at the time when you were little, when you were three, didn't uh-huh. want you to call him dad. He wanted to no. call you. I had to call him Louie, you know? Rock stars, Ned, which, you know, it's like, I mean, I don't out know the what, door already, can, right? I mean, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. 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 Which like, you know, I used to take that very personally through the framework of codependency where everything is about you. I took that really personally. If you loved me, you would, you know, it's like, no, dude, this guy has this whole other thing that yeah. doesn't have anything to do That's with right. me. That's right. Right. Called his life and his whole, all his material. Right. That's right. So I, I, later I asked my mom, I was like, you know, was I upset when Louie left? And she was like, no, you didn't notice. And I was like, and at the time I bought it, you know, which like a, it, well, it, you well, know, because I just un- can we unpack that though? I mean, like, yeah, is your God, mom you're supposed like? <laughs> <laughs> did your did your mom? You know, it's like, is there something true about what she said? Is it that you didn't notice because he was fucking making you call him Louie and not Dad, and already out the door? So Maybe. actually, when he left, he was absent the whole time anyway. You know, and, and I mean, you're I three feel- years old, you could feel it. You know, like you're acknowledging, yeah, it well, that, right? It's like of this is what. Noticed. I have a three and a half year old right now mm-hmm. who like will meet someone once and be like, Hey, so where's, uh, you know, Harry McGottle, where's he been? You know? So I'm just like, I <laughs> yeah, yeah. know that someone I lived with <laughs> till I was, totally, you know, and totally. I also think too, what I do know also that human beings do. I do this myself. You know, it's like, we all do this to a varying degree is like denial ain't just a river in Egypt. It's like, these are the survival systems that we have to get us through really extraordinarily painful, confusing times. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, it's like, we all have a healthy dose of it. So, you know, and the great news is, is like, I'm not mad about any of that. But what I did notice is much later when I actually allowed myself, like literally just gave my physical body permission to grieve my father in any way that felt natural, which was just like, okay, if the floodgates open, let's do it. And I'm not going to try and shut them or manipulate them or change them, Mm -hmm. right? This is like my non-codependency practice. I get to feel how I feel. What was really interesting was I started to have memories of him, which before I did not have. And the very first memory I had was standing in like a playpen. And it was like, a memory that was happening like in the movie in my mind, but was also happening in my body in real time. Mm -hmm. I think my youngest daughter was about six months old. So like anyone that's actually ever had a baby, you literally, for me, it's like, it's the most vulnerable I've ever been. Like you really are cut in half one way or another. You're split open and you're available, 
right? So this is a really precious time. And I was sitting on my living room floor playing with her. And then it was like, boom, here it is. You're in your playpen. You're standing up. Your diaper's full. You're looking over at the couch and your dad is lying there and he has his headphones on with music and he's smoking and you're crying. And he's not doing it. And you're reaching and he's not responding. Mm. And like that is real, Mm. you know? And it's like, what was really beautiful was I got to have my feelings as myself at, you know, six months old Mm -hmm. or however old I was, eight months old. And then I got to really feel peaceful about always reaching for him. And I wasn't reaching for him to elicit a response. I was reaching for him because that's in my nature is to reach for the love, you know? And then I got to have a lot of compassion for him as a 19 year old or 20 year old dude. That's just like, you know, I don't know what to do about any of this. And it's not that interesting, Mm. you know, which really made me also be able to soften my heart to my stepfather incredibly, mm-hmm. you know, and be mm-hmm. like, wow, that guy, you know, was absolutely a thousand percent not the perfect dad in any way. He was mm-hmm. his version. He was like the dad he was. And like anytime I reached for him, he was a yes, anytime. Always, forever. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I I didn't talk to him for 10 years. Mm. And the second I was like, I'll talk to you now, he was like, oh, good. Here we are. <laughs> I love <Yeah>. you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And just like really, you know, in my, in my practice of non-codependency of just like, I don't really assign a bunch of meaning to any of it. Mm. I mean, it's like the Rams, really, Ned. It's like the dead ram in my backyard. It's like, this is not symbolic. This is reality on reality's terms. And and it's all offering me something. And when I'm not looking through the lens of my own wounding, which I uh, do all the time, it's not like, you know, believe me, I'm not walking around like, oh, you know, I never, I'm like so enlightened and shit. I'm not. But I'm just noticing that there's options. Yeah. Right? So it's like when I can see, you know, my blood father at the absolute limit of his capacity, I can soften there. Mm -hmm. And when I can see, you know, it's like I just, I take all the, it means this about me out of it. And in codependency, the patterning of codependency, mm-hmm. everything about everyone means everything about you. Let's talk about another definition here in the middle of our episode, per usual. Just a episode-relevant way of asking for your support that lands in this conversation about codependency, and that is the definition of interdependence. 
Like if your dog provides you with love and happiness and you provide your dog with food and walks and love and happiness, then your relationship with your dog is one of interdependence. This is a request for more interdependence in our lives between you and us here at You're Going to Die, the podcast. So what does that look like? That looks like, are we offering you something that is making your life better? Is it enhancing your life? Is it taking care of you in any way? If so, that's great. In fact, I want you to know that you listening and getting what you need from this podcast doesn't depend on you doing anything at all. That's my unconditional love for you. Yes, you, the person I'm talking to in your ear right now, you. So glad you're here. And a healthy, interdependent relationship between you and us would be maybe if you took some time to do anything to support You're Going to Die, the podcast being in the world. You get it for free. And what can you do that maybe takes only a minute of your time that supports more of this show being in more ears in the world, not just yours. So for starters, rate and review the show. People are doing that. So thank you to those of you that have, those of you that have not yet done that. This is that moment. You got two minutes right here in the mix to go click on your podcast app and rate and review the show. So that's really the best way to support You're Going to Die, the podcast in our new defined interdependent relationship. The other thing I'd add is just share this episode with someone you love. That's it. Word of mouth is so incredibly important. So if this episode has mattered to you at all, share it with someone else. That's it. Text them, email them, say, hey, check this episode out about codependency. Let's have a chat after you listen uh, or not. Maybe you don't want to talk to them, but just send them the, <laughs> send them the episode. Word of mouth, rate and review the show. That's it. That's all I'm asking. And I love you. I accept you. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad to be in your ear here and now with You're Going to Die, the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and not really having a, a lot of tools, right? So mm-hmm. in the past, in the framework of codependency, how I could relate to my life was I inserted myself in everything. So that, you know, it's like someone would send me a text that was short, like a short text, like, no thanks. And I'd be like, oh my God, what did I do? Okay. <laughs> oh my God. And I'd start reviewing my Oh God. Uh, was it, what was it? Was it that when I helped them move, I didn't carry the piano oh, completely God. by myself? Like, what was it? What Eric, did I do? This is, this right? is really confronting stuff here. But this is the shit. This yeah. is like, right? Yes. Because the other thing that I realized through the framework of codependency is like, I, I could not for a moment get my head around the concept that potentially someone loved me for no, for just cause they did. Like I would have to maintain yeah. that. I would have to continue to do the labor of that. And if I missed something, the love was going to be taken away. And, 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 you know, with your stepdad too, and by the way, yeah, for your mom's sake, just let me know if you don't want to cover some of these topics, but, um, you know, thinking of your dad, your stepdad, 
I'm, 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 I'm wondering if you can share like, what is the, how does the codependency translate? I mean, literally into any time where you'd be like, I'm not going to talk to you anymore for a decade. It's like, I don't accept your love because I don't Mm -hmm. deserve it. Or, you know, what, what you just described and this like, well, love looks a certain way. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, for, for me and the relationship that ended up being cultivated between me and my stepdad was if I don't upset him, if I don't piss you off, I'm doing good. Okay. So there was this moment that I had been waiting for my whole teenagedom, you know, cause it's like every time I'd be pissed off at him when I was a teenager, I'd say to my mom, you know, I just want to say to him, like, shut the F up. You're not even my father. And she was like, if you say that to him, you, you ran, will kill him. You ran and it I was by, just like, oh, I'm keeping it. this in you my pocket. <laughs> right. You right? ran it by And I was mom. like, oh, but he's being such a bastard. I'm going to, you know, yes. he took away my Bon Jovi tickets, you know, whatever. Yeah. And so when they, you know, broke up, which basically he was unfaithful. And it was like this whole thing. I was like, oh, I can't wait for him to call me. Like, I'm going to punish him. I'm going to say this thing to him, you know? And I, here, here comes the revenge fantasy. You know, it's like, I finally have my moment. I'm living in Porta Square in Cambridge, working at Tower Records, you know, I'm like in my studio apartment, all righteous and shit. And, you know, he calls and he's like, did you hear, you know, did you hear about me and your mother? You know, I broke, and I was just like, I got to say the thing, you know, you're not my father. I never had a father and you're not it. And then I hung up on him, you know? And I remember like <laughs> hanging up on him and being like, good. I really hope you, you know, like whatever. And like storming around my studio apartment, playing nine inch nails or how whatever. Long, <laughs> how long did that last? <laughs> 10 years. Mm, you felt that it way. You 10, felt that way when yes. you said that. You, did you ever I felt thought, that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I felt that way when I said it. Okay. And like I said it partly because I could not express my upset and my, you know, disappointment of him not living up to my projections of what I thought his marriage should be with my mother, which I know nothing about and it's none of my business. But at, you know, 19, I was certain I had all the answers. And then, you know, also there was this pushback of, I've never been able to, you know, say that I have a different father. There was like something connected to my identity about it Mm -hmm. too, of like, Mm -hmm. you don't know me. And I actually belong to someone else, you know? Mm-hmm. And then that, like that fire of that position basically went out pretty quick. Yeah. You know, because then it was like, oh, I'm walking around my life with no dad. Mm-hmm. You know? And again, I had to insert myself into my parents' marriage. How could you do this to me? Mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah, making it. All I mean, you. now yeah. it's just, it's so cute, you know? It's like, well, yeah, I mean, whatever it's their marriage cute, was. Like, I talked about this just, just in the last the p- p- episode that came out today with Adam Jackson from Sacred Sons. I, I was talking mm-hmm. to him and and it's something I've referenced on the podcast a couple of times, but you know, you think of that three-year-old that this mechanism of being human is fucking brilliant, right? Cause when someone yeah. fucks up, whatever, quote yeah. unquote, 
then you are the center of the universe. So it's all about you. It's like, we're just built to to do that and you just don't have to stop. That's right. Yes. Well, and, and this is what I was doing. It's like, you know, this is what you did to your marriage. Well, let me punish you too, you know, because yes, this is all about me. Right. So now I'm assuming my position, you know, which for me at that time was like, in protection of my mom and, you know, all these different things. And also to just sort of hurt my own feelings too Mm -hmm. of like, yeah, see, dads suck. Yeah. All dads suck. (laughs) And I think I went through my 20s, like really working that wound. You know, all dads leave, dads suck, you know, being very envious of like other people in their relationships with their dads until it just ran out of steam. Like I eventually was like, is any of this even true anymore? Like, (laughs) you know, and my youngest brother, yeah, you (laughs) just like wear yourself out, you know, this is is what youth does is like, you just fucking beat it with a bat. That's all. That's right. Nothing. That's what I just always say, like, God, we just can't wait, can't wait for just getting so old that I'm just very tired. And so I just can't do this fucking shit that I just spin my wheels on forever. You care more about the love (laughs) than running the bullshit around the track. It's easier. Right. It's easier. So much easier. I do want to say, before you talk about your brother and and what that meant for you, maybe his influence and how he dealt with all this um, might be where you're going. But I want to say that you were also making up, this is what I feel, and I'm obviously not wanting to reignite the wound. I get everything you're saying, but I'm just wanting to acknowledge, like, this is like, no one acknowledged any of this shit when you were a kid enough. You know, it's like two decades before you're in your 20s where no one's doing it for you. So you just end up in this position where you're like, I will affirm this wound and make it deeper, you know, in so doing, you know? Yeah. Well, and I also had three siblings that I was not allowed to tell that I had a different dad. So I think there was also this like assertion of he might be your dad, but he's not mine. And now he sucks, you know? Yeah. Uh, So my youngest brother, I had continued to have a relationship with my stepdad and, you know, 10 years go by and I like move out to San Francisco and get this whole life and do this whole thing. And every once in a while, my youngest brother would be like, dad says hi. And I'd be like, oh yeah, what else does he say? You know, like, and what's he doing? <laughs> I love <laughs> this like And he'd be so cool about voice. it. He'd be like, well, you know, he's living in New Hampshire, smoking butts. What do you think he's doing? You know, or he like got married again for the 30th time or whatever. Well, the you know? fact is, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Oh, well, you don't, t- don't tell him I'm happy. And I like my life. And so he got married. He got married and it was like, oh, is dad going to be there? Oh, fuck. Dad's going to be there. And I went and I tell this story in my podcast too, but I, you know, I went to his rehearsal dinner in Cambridge and I could see, you know, like I walk in and mm. it's like, oh my God, my dad. And he looks all old and little and crazy and shit. And I'm standing outside the restaurant smoking and he comes out. And he's like, hey, are you talking to me now? And I was like, I think so. <laughs> and I remember at the moment being like, wait, why am I mad at this guy again? Oh, like, fuck yeah. That's did he it. actually like do anything to me or he was just shitty to my mom? Like, what's going on? Mm. You know, and my mom's talking to him. It's like, <laughs> and he was like, you know, you can't forget you're my daughter. That doesn't change just because you don't talk to me for 10 years. <laughs> And I was like, ah, fuck. 
You know, I was like, all right, dad, well, you know, let's just take oh it easy. Oh my God, I love that Take so it much. slow. Yeah, well, right, I love you. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love you. I've always loved you. You're my kid. You you know, you sat in the uh, on the judge's lap when I adopted you. They asked you who your father was and you pointed to me. Do you know, do you remember that? I'm like, no, I don't remember that. Well, I love you and I don't, you know, if you're mad at me, we can talk about it. I'm like, okay, well, I don't think there's anything to talk about. <laughs> Oh and that gosh. was that. And then from there, I I was, you know, I dropped my beef with him. Mm-hmm. And we ended up having a very, very loving, though super irritating relationship <laughs> for another, I don't know, oh. until he died the day after Thanksgiving mm-hmm. in 2021. Mm-hmm. The day after Thanksgiving in 2021. Yeah. yeah. That's the day my mom died, by the way. The day after Thanksgiving, 20 years ago. Wow. Yeah, to the day a couple days. Yeah, I guess ago, it's yeah. it's a good day, I guess. Yeah, man. I mean, my mom for sure. I don't know about your your dad and by the way, I just want to say that, right? Cuz that's what you said all along. My dad walked in. I wonder even then when you were angry, you're just like, "Oh, there's my dad." It's like you still were <laughs> you know, it's like you you're not my dad, but there's my dad walking in here. <laughs> yeah, that's but right. um my mom, you know, just needed to get through that holiday, you know, she wanted to get through that holiday. Yeah. She wanted to be with us and yeah, I feel that, you know. And was she like sick? Mm-hmm. I mean, she'd had cancer since I was 13, first diagnosed when oh, I was 13. Wow. And yeah. uh, I lived with her for a year. And that year in 2003, that Thanksgiving, I was driving up, I was on my way up there and she called me and just a week out from Thanksgiving and was like, I, I'm not good. I need you to come and get my medicine mm-hmm. from the pharmacy, which was around the corner from her place, like so close. And yeah. so it was very immediate, like this is different than ever. And also like, Oh, she's mm-hmm. sick again. So, all right, we just got to get through another time like that. Uh, so yeah. much of that in our head is, um, as kids really, right. Young, young, yeah. young kids, just not aware of really what was going on and not, not having anyone talk to us about it. And, uh, so yeah, that week just, she went so very fast. Wow. Yeah. Um, but you got to say goodbye. Yeah, I was there. That's I was so like great. not there. I kept leaving, you know, to call people, Yeah. you know, this is the yeah. codependency, uh, this will be, this is all <laughs> dripping with codependency. So this will oh, be good. like a way to share this with you and, and transition back into something that I want to make a little more room for, which is what you did a little bit already. It's like, what are we talking about when we're talking about codependency? And I know it's different for everybody, but to kind of put it in some terminology for the listeners who are like, I think I know what Erica's talking yeah. about, but just the feeling of not being able to be with what was happening, not knowing how to be with what was happening. My answer is like, go to someone who will know how big a deal this is, which I'm not, I'm not judging. I mean, I was 26, you know, I didn't know what else to do, but go out of that room and call the next person that I cared about a lot. I, you know, I regret and I, and I've, 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 I feel I've dealt with this regret, but, yeah. but, but I can call it regret, right? I, I just wish I'd sat still with her yeah, and not yeah. left that room for any fucking reason. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. But just going out and trying to connect to everybody in my community, all the people that mm-hmm. certainly I wanted to know, but I didn't need to be calling them right then, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and I don't know. I mean, part of me is like, so how am I? <laughs> 
How am I codependent, do you, Eric? Do you want me to tell you now? Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. You know, and first of all, like that is such an incredible thing to do because also the way I see it is like you were looking for the love, you know, it's like your bells and whistles were going off emergency, emergency, you know, like looking for the love. And, right. you know, my experience of codependency is like our relationship to discomfort, our feelings are emergency, our discomfort's an emergency. We have to hurry up and do something about this right now, which is basically the manipulation and control of your own feelings and then trying to manipulate and control how everyone else feels, you know? And I was like so compelled to come on this podcast because grief and death is such a massive, massive component of discomfort in our culture because, you know, we for whatever reason, I don't really care. It's like everyone, the American way is like, it's, you're either allowed to be wicked happy or furious and storm a capital and take a crap on someone's desk. Like those are the two things you get. Anything in between is weird. And if you're a lady, then you're fucking insane. You know, if you're, if you're not happy, you're insane. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. Right. So I, I think the dismissal and like, I mean, I don't know how you grew up. I grew up in the house. Like you better stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I, I like, mean, it's just feeling so much and, and throwing tantrums to get it out. Cause that was the only way I could express yeah. that. Cause mostly right. it was no one else's what's that's going right. on. Why isn't anybody else upset right now? You know, a that's little right. bit, you know, that's or, right. Or so when you become an adult, depression, right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, my my husband says there are two man feelings. It's angry and fine. I don't know if that resonates with you. That, I was, was wish my dad had the like fine option. <laughs> it was like it's like, right. like angry right. or yeah, very depressed and absent entirely off to the casino. You yeah, know? but yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I, I, yeah. So as adults, you know, when we are children who are not allowed to have our feelings and we get overwhelmed and confused by them, as adults, we become grossly codependent because the moment. You know, it's like, watch what someone does. So when someone starts crying, one of the most basic unconscious forms of codependency is the person starts patting them on the back and starts going, it's okay. It's okay. Everything's going to be okay. Here's a tissue. It's okay. It's okay. Here's a little towel. (laughs) Clean yourself up. That's right. Here's a towel. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Right. It's like, and it's, it's the person who's not having the feelings discomfort with that. Mm -hmm. Right. So really, and, and a lot of it, I think at this point is unconscious of just like, you know, so start in 2021 on November 8th, my grandmother died on November 27th. My dad died on April 4th or something. One of my best friends in the whole world died. And then a week later, my sister-in-law died. So it was like, Hey, how about some foie gras grief? Hmm. Like f- literally foie gras. Like I was like, ah, mm. you know what I mean? In a year, you could in not a year window, grief. like pretty much. Yeah, yeah right. There was Less just no, that. you yeah. couldn't deny yourself mm-hmm. out of it. So it was actually really, really beautiful. But what I noticed is other people like could, had a really hard time. Fig- like, I don't know what to say. I'm so, I don't know what to do. And it's just like, it's okay. There's not. But the way codependency comes up with that is like, I am extremely uncomfortable with how you feel about grief. I don't know what to do. And 
I have to make myself feel different or make you feel different. Yeah. This, this, you use the word vulnerability a bit and maybe we can dig in on that term because something I, I'm feeling I got taught in, in language mm-hmm. by uh, a Frankel Soseski who uh, was on the show and it's one of my favorite conversations, but one thing he said in that talk is that vulnerability isn't as much about like how we're opening up and being raw and and feeling whatever we're feeling, you know, visibly. It's actually about like our willingness to be affected. Yes, absolutely. I agree with that. And you're talking about the inclination we have, like we're all like, they're being very, yeah, to be honest with yourself. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, Can you say more about that? Yeah. I feel like, vulnerability for me is way more about my personal relationship with truth. What is true and my relationship with truth. And in, in my codependent patterning, it's like running the opposite direction of the truth and vulnerability and transparency and get into like, everything's great. You know, like all that it's the opposite, right? So really being able you know, vulnerability and truth really live side by side for me because one of the things that I've noticed about myself as I start to, un- as I continue to unravel from my codependent programming, which side note, I don't think it ends. I really don't think it ends. I, I don't think there will be a you field codependency uh, Olympic award show, you know, because it's just like, it's so deep. It's hundreds of years of it. Yeah. So it's like a great, oh, I can just like tuck in and suck it up. This is good. That, you know, it's like the further I get into what's true for me, being able to articulate what's true, being able to feel what's true. It's like, it, it's nothing but vulnerability. Mm-hmm. you know, being real with myself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then really letting other people come to their own conclusions about all of it and know that it's like none of my damn business. Where in the past, I, I was very concerned, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like initially too, when you start to focus on your own self and your relationship with the truth and your codependent programming, you'll be like, oh, I'm being selfish because I'm not like literally living up your ass. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's the, the, the so much extreme in codependency, whereas I feel like in non-codependency, it's like things are really nuanced and vulnerability is something that teaches you about itself as you continue to say yes to it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh yeah, I'm absolutely willing to stick my neck out. I'm absolutely willing to say what's true, you know, inside myself. I'm willing to like be awake about, you know, the information that I get about myself. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just like, it's, it's a lot harder, but the payoff is huge, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like the difference between watching Netflix and eating popcorn and going to the gym. Gym's a lot harder, but the payoff's bigger, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, I think in this time in our world, there seems to be, it's like people seem to be getting less interested in being numb and checked out and a bit more interested in what 
is going on. Yeah, what's true, which which often these days is what's uncomfortable. Yeah, that's right. Maybe it's always been that way. <laughs> it's always been that way. Yeah, that's right. But now we're like, oh, you know, maybe maybe we'll just look at it for a minute. You know, mm. so the great gift of COVID mm-hmm. is here. Being undistracted for a while and see where this gets mm-hmm. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. The the medicine, you know, it's like you 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 talk about yeah. the, the medicine. You know, it's like what, 10, 20 years of getting the medicine you need to mm-hmm. practice. I don't know. Maybe you put it in your language again, because I was going to say like to yeah. practice, like being more non-codependent, you know? Um, yeah. But but I but I'd love to make some time to just be with like, what was that medicine? And, 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 and maybe some of that we can even tie back into for some completion that, that I might be seeking around your dad and the ways you're complete yeah. with, with your dad. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy your to talk about father. that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the San Pedro medicine basically has given me my whole life. Mm-hmm. That is the absolute unedited truth. Mm-hmm. Um, given me the perspectives that I have that help that like, caused me to feel extraordinarily peaceful about my whole life and my childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, And really the San Pedro medicine in my life has been the master teacher of love. It it just is, you know, and it's like, I, the last thing I ever want to do or am interested in is like asserting a bunch of thoughts about a power that's greater than myself, but here we go. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, I started praying. I don't with, have a boss. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, here yeah. we go. There's another thing that I said I'm never going to do. Um, I started pr- praying uh, with uh, San Pedro Medicine at Medicine Path Native American Church in 2009. And and we both know it, San Pedro Medicine through that. Can you, for the listeners, right. share just a little, if you feel comfortable talking a little bit about yeah. what that is exactly? Yeah. Well, San Pedro happens to be California's number one landscaping succulent. So if you live in Northern California and you look out your window or go to the Oakland Zoo, it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, and it's an entheogen, which I recently got that word and uh, learned about. Uh, it's not a psychedelic, but it basically, the physics of it is it it's an it's a medicine of expansion. So it actually makes you available for information, which you know predominantly for me was love, the perspective of love, and the framework of love. Um, mm. So you know. I can say for sure, I mean, I was basically in ceremony every weekend, more or less for 13 years, which is exactly what a very stubborn, willful, arrogant person like me needs to do to get on the other side of her thoughts, ideas, feelings, and positions about everyone that has ever existed. You know, it was it was perfect for me because it it made it really made me being accountable and responsible for my own life and my own feelings and my own um, healing path. Very attractive, very attractive, you know, and, and ceremony after ceremony when I would be like, yeah, Wachuma, but you don't understand. Like my dad sucks, you know, the Wachuma would be like, well, (laughs) but how about this for love? You know? Yeah. And I'd be like, well, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. And then it would just be like, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
absolutely, I'll take that. Mm-hmm. You know, and the truth of that. And so, you know, it's like one of the really great teachings that the San Pedro offered me really early on that was extraordinarily helpful in me basically putting down my uh, battle with my childhood and my life was the San Pedro was basically like, you know, you have no idea who your parents are what they were doing. Like your perspective is really small. Like you can only have the perspective of being their very small child. And there was a lot more going on than that. So Mm. since you're really, really well-versed in assuming the worst, would you consider assuming the best? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. What what would that get me? (laughs) You know, (laughs) San Pedro was like happier. Yeah. Probably. Love. Ease. Yeah, love, you know? So it's like, it, it really is through the lens of that medicine that I got to have an ongoing uh, relationship of growing compassion for the humanity and limitations and the actual, now I know, real time and possibility of raising a human being. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and, and really I would like go back over and over again. I'd be like, yeah, but you don't understand my childhood. And the medicine was like, let me ask you something. <laughs> so what do you think success is? You know? And I'd be like, well, I don't know. And the San Pedro was like, you lived. How more successful do you think it gets? Mm-hmm. And that really was like, whoa, wait, what? You mean it? the success doesn't include an, a pony? It's like, no, that's entitlement. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good to know the difference between, you yeah. know. Yeah. And it just, it's, it, it mm. opened my heart. Mm-hmm. I, I have to and ask. thank God. Yeah. Thank God. And, 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 uh, thank you for sharing that. I have to ask this, imagining someone listening and we could just edit this out, but yeah, imagining sure. someone listening who's like, I don't do that. Everything Erica says, I'm, feeling confronted. It's real. This is, this matters yeah. a ton, but I'm not comfortable doing yeah. San Pedro. Yeah, you do. You absolutely. It's like, you know, the really beautiful thing in the framework of non-codependency. <laughs> and this is what's brilliant is like, I don't know what the hell anyone should do. I don't know what y'all should do. I, I barely know what I should do any fucking day. You know, it's like, I'm lucky I can drink enough water and get myself to the bathroom these days, yeah. Yeah. you know? And there's, you know, it's like, Whatever the way to love is for any individual, run like your hair is on fire. Yeah, hell yeah. For me, (laughs) it was like, that made sense. That was a yes, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, I don't need to convince anybody of anything about it. And so whatever, it's like, however anyone finds it, just go for it. Get yourself Mm -hmm. there. Hell yeah. You know, well, yeah. and yeah, it's like you some, it too, it's I get like, it. I'm the some stubborn, <laughs> the stubborn, you know, yes. being that you are, you're like, you're, you're admit, you admit it and you, you, you acknowledge it in your share. You know, it's like, this is what, this is what it yes. takes, you know, that's all. Yes. I was not teachable otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a problem with that about myself, yeah. you know? It's just like, all I feel is gratitude that there was something that could, could teach yeah, me. Yeah, that could, yeah. Find it. Yeah, right. I love that. And Find you know, the thing like, that can teach you. And run I like had a relationship with my creator. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had a relationship with my creator prior to that and it just wasn't giving me the juice that I needed, but that that's me. It's like everyone, you know, has whatever they have. Thank you so much to Erica Wright for that meaningful conversation, that surprise attack on, on my own issues with codependency. I didn't, it wasn't an attack, but it was a fun surprise. Love it. Uh, thank you, Erica. Go to Erica's website at Erica Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, Erica with a K. The link's in the show notes. Erica Wright's website will be in there. Erica Wright's Healing Codependency Support Counseling Group will be linked up in there. You can find it through Erica's website, too. I'm putting Erica's chocolate company, superstar.com, and the company Made of Stars. Check all of these things out through the links in the show notes. And I also want to highlight that Erica has a Healing Codependency podcast. So that'll also be linked up. And all the things will be in there. The best way to do it, though, is go to ericawright.com, E-R-I-K-A-W-R-I-G-H-T.com, and connect, connect up to all things Erica there. Okay. Hello, Nick Jana. Hello, Ned Buskirk. Where are you, um, <laughs> where are you zooming in? Sorry, my hair is no, definitely it's, very oh, wild. No, it looks what, cool. Did I ruin it? Yeah, no, thanks. Oh, no, don't put it down. Come on. It looks cool. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, a little pompadori. Uh, where are you zooming in from there, buddy? I'm in Mexico City. Oh. Yeah. Nice. How's that going? <laughs> have you ever been? Yes, I have. There's actually a family here that I love very much, and I'm staying with them, and it's been really nice. And um, just walking around the city and enjoying the click. Uh, I don't know. There's <laughs> the click. There's a very click. specific. No, there's a very specific oh. thing that I enjoy about. It's a lot in Europe and uh, some places in Mexico. Not so much in America anywhere. A lot of like stone uh, houses and thresholds and cobblestones and a lot of like stones to like click your heels on. <laughs> did you bring your, did you bring your tap shoes? That, that was, <laughs> felt a lot more in my head until I said it. I don't know. Just those, like those very specific tactile things end up being like a big part of the experience of a city for me at least. Mm, yeah. And, I, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm me. So there's that. You are you. And then like touching <laughs> stones and like the, um, 
You know the kind of signs that are. Um, we can cut all this out, but you know the kind of signs oh, no, that are. Like, <laughs> no, we are not. We are absolutely not. I don't know if they're like brass. I think they're like brass. You know, like where like the the letters are sticking out, and then it's like mm. relieved, like the back. It's like the carved out. You know, the back is black, mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. letters stick out in brass, mm-hmm. like on like banks and uh, old banks and things like that. Museums. <laughs> I just love like touching those and just you know. Well, let me just, um, let's just, I do want to keep all this. Let's dig into this a little bit more. Uh, what do you, what are you noticing about being alive right now that would have you leaning into this like sensory experience that seems in contrast to some of the other things we often talk about? Is there a way that right now you're just really like loving being in your body? Are you in your body more? Is it that there's just like this totally different con? Yeah, go ahead. No, no, not at all. Uh, I don't know if that's a leading question, but I am thinking of, uh, well, no, I've been exploring like, like neurodiversity in myself and like the way that those traits have manifested in my experience of the world and relationships and just embracing things that I like, you know, like normally Mm -hmm. like you ask somebody, what have you been doing in Mexico city? It's like shots and shots of mezcal. That's not nor- <laughs> not nor- but yeah. Okay. That's an answer that somebody like, might give. Tacos, 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 brah. You know, and I'm just like, oh my God, I don't Who know are these people quiet walks with my headphones mm. through the city and like feeling my heels click on the stones Clicking, and I'm touching, touching the numbers, <laughs> touching the walls mm. and like taking photos of all the different little, like I was going to ask, yeah, taking dis- pictures, distressed the way that like walls will be distressed and then painted over and then like a poster torn off and then, you know, like taking photos of that. Yeah. That's my, I think wild, of you. that's my wild Mexican vacation. <laughs> Well, I think of you as someone who travels actually a great lot more than I do anyway. We'll just leave it at that. And I've noticed when I've traveled, especially abroad, how much I want to write, how much I'm inclined to write more than usual. Do you feel that? Or you're just kind of a writer all the time, sort of whatever context you in, it doesn't draw that forth or maybe it draws it forth in a different way. Yeah. I mean, Hemingway said, you know, it's easier to write about Michigan when you're in Paris, you know, and vice versa. Like you mm-hmm. can see the things about the place that you live when you're away from it because they're not there um, and vice versa. And so it is, uh, yeah, more an opportunity to write about what you left than where where you're at. at Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, doing, starting to do some of that, of course. Yeah. I'm always writing. Gosh, I just had no idea. This is what we'd end up talking about here at the end. Um, But it's good to check in. I'm glad you're there. I hope it's a like meaningful and worthwhile time. However long you do it. It is funny, as you know, like I've been like studying Spanish for a couple of years, but uh, by, as you have done some, you know, like talking to natives online and like you trying, you know, getting to what I think of as fluent <laughs> in Spanish until um, I'm like at this house and like one of the people living here calls me and says in Spanish, can you take the red Christmas flowers down? And I go into the living room and there's like five pots of red flowers on tables. And I'm like, put them on the floor. Why? (laughs) It's like, take the red Christmas flowers down, put them down the red flowers for Christmas. And they're getting like kind of frustrated and I'm getting frustrated because I'm like, I thought I knew Spanish, but like, why would I put the red flowers down? You know? And then we switch to English and it's still confusing. And they say the green corner. And I'm like the green corner. Um, and then finally I figure out that they're talking, there's a a patio on the roof with a pot of red flowers that they wanted taken down because it was going to rain. 
Um, and just one of those embarrassing moments where it's like, I, I thought I knew this language and then I just oh, get like geez. hung up in this like trap of just like, what are you saying? What, what, you know, yeah. like a simple little instruction that just like turns into this meltdown of like, I can't. Oh, uh, well, you language. know, also like no better time to hone your skills and your language than being there day after day after day and listening and getting to have those kind of conversations. I just feel like I did two weeks in Mexico right out of high school or right at the end of high school. School, and it offered me more learning than the four years I'd done of Spanish in class. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and I am still doing my lessons via italki, which I think yeah. you use still. And, and because I'm going to Guatemala in February, I haven't told whoa, you. Whoa, 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 what? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, <laughs> um, now I'm just nervous. I was like, I'm going to be super set because I'm doing my lessons and I'm listening to Spanish every day for 20 minutes. And now I'm definitely just feeling, embracing myself for mm. what will be a little trickier than, um, Expected. Well, the difference, and we can cut all this out, but the difference. <laughs> I'm not. I refuse. We're leaving this in. It's nice just to talk about something non-death related. There's a difference between, I found, you know, I've done 200 hours on this website, italki, and it's like, you like, like we do wow. here where you like, you talk about philosophy and big life things and death and projects you're working on, trips you're going on, right? There's a difference between that and then you go to the like taco cart and they're like, you know, do you want the thing on the, to put the thing, hand me the thing or put the thing on the, you know, like that type of like, uh, language is different because it's more mm. like immediate and it's like direct commands yeah. and, and mm-hmm. slang and stuff, you know? And so it's just adjusting to that. And it, and obviously it goes quicker and it's like, uh, they're not as patient or they're not as, uh, they're not understanding that you're not a native speaker, you know? Mm. So it's just Got adjusting it. to that and mm-hmm. not getting freaked out by like, Oh my God, you know? I feel like when we don't talk about death and dying and grief, we often talk about like learning languages or Spanish. I feel like we've talked about learning Spanish before on the podcast. So I love the the plug. No, I love the plug. Should we change the... That's what we joked about. Yeah. (laughs) No, change the podcast. Yeah. It's learning Spanish. Oh, okay. Great. I'll make a new logo. Welcome, everybody. We we (laughs) joked about this before. I think this very specific joke. Yeah, I'm almost positive. Um, Gosh, I have to go. And so we can't really talk about anything that relates to the the episode conversation. Unless you had any questions for me. (laughs) I. I, I was just going to say like with codependency, it's one of those things where like, God, I wish I had had more, uh, information and like instruction around that earlier in my life. Mm-hmm. I feel like I really came to that, like around 40, around the age 40, you know, of like, wow, this is really impacting my life. And this is really a serious mm-hmm. thing. Um, it's too bad that like, I don't know if it's just like emotional, deep emotional things, people don't want to touch it, or there's not a framework if you're not with a constructive therapist to like arrive at that conclusion, you know? Well, you remind me, um, you remind me of the resources out there. Yeah, it's important. And I did want to mention coda.org, which is a codependency. It's codependence anonymous. And I just have heard through other people that have done these programs, how powerful, even just some of the curriculum is some of the language and books that Mm. you get. Um, and, and I think just like AA, it's totally free. And I'll put this link in the show notes too. It's coda.org, C O D a.org. Um, 
you can check that out in the show notes. But just thinking, yeah, totally agree. What would this have done for me 10 years ago to get in a conversation like I got into with Erica feeling for the first time, maybe not for the first time, but getting language over some of the things I know are true about me for the first time in a way that might help me like move a little more into healing or at least like noticing. Cause that's the thing Erica says too, right? In the conversation we have, this won't go away. It's, it's never going to go away, mm. but that it matters yeah. to understand it, to deepen our understanding about it, about how are the mechanisms of who we are. And so lots of free resources out there for, for all of us to tap into. And absolutely, boy, it would have been great to get this about a decade ago. Just something to note, listeners, if that's what you're feeling coming out of this episode about codependency, um, definitely tap into some of those resources and uh, for you people wanting to learn languages out there, go to italki.com. They do not sponsor this show. Okay? I just want to make that very clear. Thank you, Nick. So good to be with you from Mexico City. Adios, everybody. Until next time, um, hope that you integrate uh, the things we share here in meaningful ways to deepen your experience of being alive more and more. Vulnerability give yourself generously and receive life generously. <laughs> Bye-bye. Is that a quote? Did I get that right from the last time I said, uh, until next? No, oh, God, not even I'm close. just no. still working Completely on it. Different. Every single oh. word was different. Oh, <laughs> okay. I'll keep working on it. <laughs> Bye everybody. Bye Nick. Bye.